official Ottawa, which is okay in our books. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Wow, wow, wow. Where to start today? Where to start? There's so much news. Did you hear Patrick Brown is out? Um, you probably, if you if you follow me online, then you probably heard it first from me. I'm not going to say I broke the story. I'm not going to pull what CBC did. Tom Blackwell from National Post beat me by a few minutes. But that was it. For the longest time, that was it. There were stories that... We hear he's coming out. He might be out. The Globe had one version of why he'd be out. Toronto Sun had a different version. And Blackwell and I ended up with the same story and were out within minutes of each other. Patrick Brown out. He made it official just after 5 o'clock, but uh, well, I guess I probably had it up around three hours earlier, roughly. Two or three hours earlier, so... We can talk about Patrick Brown, and we will, and I will give you the rundown on how this happened later on. I will give you the complete rundown of what happened with Patrick Brown leaving the PC leadership race later on today. Okay, we will talk about that, and I'll talk about later on in the program how Justin Trudeau has appointed one of Omar Khadr's lawyers to the federal court. That's right. (laughs) Giving Omar $10.5 million is not enough. He appointed John Norris, a man with a history of defending Omar Cotter and people like him, to the court. Now, this is going to annoy some of my lawyer friends. It's going to annoy Justin Trudeau supporters. Well, everyone's entitled to a fair defense, Brian. Why don't you like democracy? I'm already hearing that. I've also been called a bigot and a racist for this. It's a simple fact. He, he appointed this guy to the federal court. And I'll explain why that matters and how it might impact judgments later on. But, you know, let's start with Justin Trudeau and his trip to India, which was such a disaster last week. Such a disaster. Because right after he he went to the senior minister in Punjab, Captain Singh, and told him, We take Sikh extremism seriously. We're going to deal with it. Here's what he said. We uh, recognize that there had been misunderstandings and uh, uh, strong words in the past. I was uh, pleased to be able to make very, very clear uh, that Canada uh, supports uh, one united India and that we are uh, unanimous uh, as a government, as ministers uh, on this issue. And I support Justin Trudeau doing that. That's what he needed to do. That is what the Indians wanted to do the whole time he was there, this whole visit. Forget the outfit. Forget the fact that Justin Trudeau was changing outfits more than Britney Spears at her Vegas residency. This guy was there for trade. He needed to get certain things from the Indian side. He needed to convince them in order for them to feel comfortable with him, he needed to convince them that he was tough on what? Khalistani separatists, Khalistani extremists. These are people that want 
a separate Sikh homeland. And in the past, they've been willing to kill for it, including in Canada. Jaspal Atwal, 1986, along with a group of men, ambushes a Punjabi cabinet minister visiting from India on Vancouver Island. This was an attempted assassination of an Indian politician in Canada by these Sikh terrorists who wanted a homeland. The same people that carried out, I'm not saying Atwal did, but the same people, as in they support the same cause, carried out the Air India bombing, the worst terrorist attack in Canadian history. And until 9-11, I believe it was the largest aviation terrorist attack. So, he invites this guy to dinner. Trudeau is immediately on the back foot and is trying to explain it away, trying to blame it. First, he blames the high commissioner. Canada's high commissioner in India, that's whose fault it is. Uh, That doesn't really work because the high commissioner is going to send out to local people that he knows. But Atwal's from Surrey, British Columbia. How's he getting an invite from the Indian high commissioner? The Indian high commissioner might invite, say, oh, the editor of Outlook magazine, which he did. And then rescinded that invitation after the Trudeau PMO said, you can't invite that guy. Why? Because that guy was critical of Justin Trudeau. He rescinded, the PMO rescinded an invitation of an Indian media outlet because they wrote about Justin Trudeau and his cabinet being too close to the Khalistani separatists who have engaged in terrorism. This is a big deal in India, folks. But Trudeau, as I said, he went and he saw the the main minister for the region where this is an issue and assured him, we're good, we're on side. Then it turns out, well, no, we invited a guy who has committed violence on this front to dinner. We just invited him to dinner. And, oh, yeah, he was already in Mumbai with us at the Bollywood reception that we did. And he was photographed with my wife, and I've been photographed with him a bunch of times. So Trudeau blames the Indian High Commissioner. That doesn't work. He turns around and blames the backbench liberal MP, Randeep Sarai, and says on Friday, oh, he's going to get a talking to. Sorry, that's my Russell Peters, and that's Russell Peters' line about his dad. He basically says, he acts like Russell Peters, and says this guy's going to get a talking to. Uh, This situation was unacceptable. Like I said yesterday, uh, this individual never should have been invited, and uh, the MP responsible uh, has taken responsibility, and I will be having a conversation uh, with that MP uh, in uh, in Canada next week. Okay, maybe that's why Justin Trudeau wasn't... Now, that's not true. He wasn't in the House of Commons today because he needed a vacation from his eight-day vacation. So Trudeau first blames the Indian High Commissioner, Then he blames liberal backbench MP, Randeep Sarai. Then he has a senior government official come out and start briefing certain media outlets. But they're not allowed. This is the deal. And I don't blame the media outlets. I've been in these positions. You're a bureau chief. You get a call from the PMO. This happened under Stephen Harper with me and all the other bureau chiefs. You get a call. You're in a meeting room. Or sometimes it's on the phone. Say, look, we've got something. We're going to set it up so you can speak to somebody on condition of background, but you can't, you can't say who they are. You can't quote them directly. You can use what they say to inform your story. And there's nothing untoward about that. Sometimes people can't go on the record 
but they can brief you on background to co- try and give you a sense of what the government's position is. They, they position where the government is for you. So they call out, but here's the thing. The person that they brought out wasn't trying to just position something from a government point of view. They brought out a supposedly nonpartisan civil servant to sell a partisan position, to sell that the there were rogue elements in the Indian government or the intelligence community in India or the Indian military that set up Justin Trudeau for embarrassment to try and make him fail. That is what they were trying to sell people. And they used a nonpartisan, very senior civil servant with access to the highest level of intelligence. Hmm, who would that be? Who sits at PMO and would know all that? Well, in my view, that's National Security Advisor Daniel Jean. So I was not in on those calls. I was not at any meeting. I'm not sworn to secrecy, so I say it's Gene. And if it's not Gene, then that makes it worse because it's the clerk of the Privy Council, his boss. Either way, one of them has to resign. Today, Candace Bergen asking in question period of Ralph Goodale, the public safety minister, hey, Ralphie, what's going on here? Mr. Speaker, isn't the prime minister's belief that the government of India conspired and manipulated events in order to ensure the attendance of Jasbel Atwal, a convicted terrorist, at a reception in India last week with the Prime Minister. Good question. Very good question. Mr. Speaker, as the, uh, as the Honourable Member knows, uh, I cannot discuss security details on the floor of the House, but I can tell her, I can tell her with absolute assurance that all... Canadians can be assured that our police and our security agencies have done their job in relation to this visit, and they have done it very well. He can't discuss something that was leaked to media outlets with other elected officials. What world do Ralph Goodale and Justin Trudeau live in? I know the the world where their colleague Jody Wilson-Raybould appoints Omar Khadr's lawyer to the federal court after giving Omar $10.5 million. That doesn't look weird at all. You notice in a pattern, I mean, they like all sorts of terrorists over at, the, over at the Trudeau PMO, don't they? Now, maybe Jasper Atwal was reformed. This is part of what we're hearing. This guy was allowed into India because he was considered no longer a threat. He was reformed. Then why did Justin Trudeau immediately throw him under the bus and say he wasn't welcome there? Because Justin Trudeau knew who he was. Atwal has come out and said he's on a first-name basis with the prime minister. He'll see him at events and say, hey, Jass, how are you doing? Atwal said they're friends. They've even sat in his Hummer having long conversations a few years ago. The PMO denies that. And by the way, in that same Canadian press article, they turned around and denied. They turned around and denied that Atwal, or sorry, that anyone had ever put forward the idea that India was behind this. They put the person out to say India was behind this. Now they're saying no one ever said that. CBC ran with the story. Are you doubting your own state broadcaster that you give more money to all the time? Like I said, forget about the outfits. Forget about the fact that he changed more times than Britney Spears at a Vegas residency. 
Forget about the fact that he didn't remember how old Canada was. Forget about the fact that the trade deal doesn't amount to a whole hill of beans in terms of the Canadian economy. Forget about the fact that this was a family vacation. They botched it from a security standpoint, a diplomatic standpoint, and now they're using supposedly nonpartisan civil servants to lie for them. To lie for them and create conspiracy theories out of whole cloth. These guys are ridiculous, they are dangerous, and someone needs to be fired over this. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Coming up in less than an hour, just after 8 o'clock, I'll be back here on Facebook Live. If you're watching on Facebook Live, you can catch the rest of the show at CFRA.com or on the iHeartRadio app. It's always free, Apple or Android. You can listen to the whole show there. You're not going to get some of the information anywhere else, so listen in. Uh, But I'll also be back on uh, Facebook, the Facebook, just after 8 o'clock to give my rundown of how things went down for uh, Patrick Brown. I was on the inside of some of those conversations today. I'll let you know about that. Just after 7.30, the professor that has been quoted widely, has been quoted so widely on Justin Trudeau's train wreck of a mission to India, uh, he's going to join me. He's now getting threats, bigoted emails. (laughs) I'm going to read one of them. You won't believe it. We'll talk to him just after 7.30. And after 8.30, a conservative pundit on on Patrick Brown and what went down in between. We'll talk on on a whole bunch of stuff. Did you hear we're going to name one of our trains in uh, Ottawa after a, uh, a trader? Yeah, I'll get into that. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Listen to B-Lil now or catch up with everyone else next week. This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. May I have your attention, please? Brian Lilly's five things you need to know. Well, number one story you need to know is not that the prime minister appointed uh, Omar Khadr's lawyer to the federal court. It is that he continues to lie about the India trip and feed conspiracy theories and play dangerous diplomatic games, all because this man here, Jasper uh, Jasper Atwal, got invited to not one but two receptions in India, got his photo taken with Sophie at one before the Prime Minister rescinded Atwal's invitation to a big dinner in New Delhi because he was embarrassed by it. He knows my name. He comes and says, hey, Jess, how are you doing? Blah, blah, blah. And uh, we have a good relation. I, I never see any problem. But now, you know, he said, oh, Jasper not supposed to be here, this and that. Yeah, who is Jasper Latwal? He's the guy that tried to kill a visiting Indian cabinet minister in 1986. You got to hear what he says about this, though. Yes, I made a big mistake one time in my life, and uh, I'm taking full responsibility. But after that, I've changed. And people here, you know, blaming all that, looking, you know, your personal life and all that. And I'm telling them, okay, grow up. You know, people must make, everybody make mistakes. Uh, grow up, everybody makes mistakes. Who among us hasn't tried to kill a visiting politician? Look, I get that people can reform and they co- can go on to the side of good, but what I haven't heard from Atwal 
is a denunciation of his terrorist past, a denunciation of using violence to try and establish a Sikh homeland. Uh, I'm willing to listen if he's willing to make those. Story number two. I can't believe this is story number two today. Patrick Brown. Wasn't it just a little while ago he said this? I want to finish the job I started. I want to finish the job of getting this province back on track. Well, he was out of the leadership race today, citing concerns about his mother's health. She was hospitalized over the weekend, dealing with the stress of uh, of what Patrick is going through, but also what the family's going through. Uh, Brown saying that there have been threats aimed at him and his family. Uh, I've heard as much as death threats, and if that's true, then I hope that he takes those to the police and proper authorities and deals with them. But he uh, he is no longer in the leadership race. Story number three, a, oh, terrifying, terrifying crash. I'm sure you've seen the the visuals of it so far. 130 people stranded, 29 people injured. I'm I'm shocked that that is all it is so far. This in Hope, British Columbia, on the Coquihalla Trail, storm just making the roads a disaster. Uh, there were several uh, Greyhound buses involved in this. There were several transport trucks involved in this. Uh, 25 kilometers north of Hope is where this happened. And Graham Zillwood uh, explains what went on. And the domino effect starts. Start knocking like ping pong, ping pong balls off the highway. I've seen that happen quite a few times. I've been here 14 years and I've seen it way too many times. If you see the the, uh, visuals, especially from inside the Greyhound bus, you can hear the bus driver yelling that everyone has to brace themselves. Story number four. (laughs) People should just start listening to me. Elsie, you should listen to me. I told you Carlson wouldn't be traded, and he wasn't. Today, Senators GM Pierre Dorian saying he wasn't actively trying to sell Eric Carlson and trade him away, but he would have been foolish not to listen to the many offers he was getting. Let's face it, Eric married a girl from Ottawa. His first child will be born in Ottawa. We want to make sure that Eric can be here as long as we can. But at the same time, when we are in 29th place, you have a duty to listen to everything. And I think it would not be a smart thing not to listen to offers. And so they did listen to offers. They didn't find one that they liked. And so they're off. The trade is off that. That, that means there's more trade action on Patrick Brown. I had him going to the B.C. Liberals earlier today. That deal fell through. Apparently, the senators wouldn't guarantee paying 40% of Patrick Brown's salary if he was traded to the B.C. Liberals. So, And story number five, uh, this from the Weather Network. From mild, wild winter to wild spring, spring will be delayed but not de- denied. They say the spring equinox is approaching, but winter will not give up easily. The Weather Network spring forecast it's saying that March is known for stormy winter weather, and this year you can watch for some wild weather in March. So don't get out the umbrella yet. Don't get out the flip-flops yet. It's going to continue for a while, folks. That's depressing news, but news that you need to know. Uh, I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. We'll talk to a man at the center of the controversy around Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's trip to India Quoted widely in American media, but now facing threats and intimidation for being critical of RPM. Why? We'll explain when we come back.
Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Join the resistance on Facebook and Twitter at CFRA Ottawa. I uh, do not think we should ever be glorifying uh, mass murderers, and I'm happy to condemn that. You know, it's uh, it's not a good sign when the prime minister has to announce while he's on an official visit. They called it a state visit. It's not a state visit. A prime minister cannot have a state visit. He's not the head of state. He is the head of government. No prime minister can have a state visit. So, but he called it that, and then he goes to India, and he has to be chastised into denouncing the fact that he he doesn't support mass murderers. Why? Well, because they were, the, the Indian government was concerned that Canada is too lax when it, uh, it comes to Sikh extremists, when it comes to the Khalistani movement. I mean, Let's not forget, we had the, the attempted assassination of a Punjabi cabinet minister in 1986 carried out by Jasper Atwal. We had the Air India bombing that happened here. We had the assassination of a Punjabi language publication in Vancouver in the late 1980s because he was telling people to come forward and cooperate with the police and giving out too, too much information that would help the police figure out who... The people were behind the Air India bombing, which, by the way, there was another bombing that on, on a different plane. It didn't take the plane down. Instead, it blew up baggage handlers in Tokyo. So we've got a history of dealing with this in Canada. And the Khalistanis find a way to try and ingratiate themselves into every political party. So this is the overwhelming issue for Justin Trudeau. And, or, or for the Modi government, they want to know that Justin Trudeau is not being soft on these guys because he goes to events and is pictured with them while they are honoring the so-called martyrs who die in India. I mean, can you imagine trying to convince Theresa May that you're an ally with her if you're showing up at the Easter uh, uprising breakfast? Yeah, there's an Easter uprising breakfast in Toronto every year. It commemorates the Easter Uprising of 1916 in Dublin, in Ireland. There's a lot of IRA songs sung there. If you're always hanging out at McVeigh's Pub and going to the Easter Uprising breakfast, and then you try and and take some of these guys to a a dinner with Theresa May, do you think that's going to go over so well? Probably not. So this is the backdrop against which the Prime Minister is going there and supposedly is there to do business, and instead he is photographed in a lot of outfits that... People in India said, too Indian for an Indian, man. Come on. Professor Vivek Deja is an economics professor at Carleton University. And he was quoted widely about this trip being a train wreck. And then, uh, as you called it when we chatted earlier today, uh, Vivek, it's a bit of a multiplier effect. People started quoting the quotes you gave to other media outlets. And all of a sudden, you are everywhere And now you're facing some kind of backlash. Before we get to the backlash, let's start with your thoughts. You're you're an economics professor. You were in India for the this trip, so you're on the ground. You're you're seeing it. Uh, 
unfold, maybe not in front of your eyes, but you're experiencing it through local media. Um, what was your view of the trip, and, and, and what was the reaction on the ground in India? Uh, thanks, Brian. Great to be on the show. Well, you know, very briefly, I was there on the sidelines. I had no official part of the visit, but I had meetings and appointments, uh, you know, time to coincide with the visit. And it really, I think I actually I called it quite early on as a slow-moving train wreck because there was one mishap, one gaffe after another. Mr. Modi did not go to meet our prime minister. It was clearly a signal that he was sort of downplaying the visit. Then there was a series of sort of Bollywood kind of set-piece photo opportunities that were more and more embarrassing, frankly. And well, real- especially in Mumbai, where he's at an actual Bollywood event, and the Bollywood actors are showing up in jeans and jack, you know, regular jackets that we wear here in North America. Exactly. And, and in suits. And he's looking like he's in Bride and Prejudice. <laughs> It was very bizarre because no one actually dresses that way, Brian. Yeah, I, I wanted to ask that. Is, do you see Justin Trudeau's outfits on the streets of Mumbai or New Delhi or any other major city in India? Absolutely not. You may <laughs> see something sort of like that on someone's wedding day. That would be the one day in their life they might wear something like, with that much Like I wore a even. kilt on mine. <laughs> I don't walk around in that outfit looking like Bonnie Prince Charlie every day. So, so his his wardrobe choices, you know, basically he had very poor advice. I don't know who his advisors are, but I do know that they really are clueless about India because that was really off-putting to a lot of people. And then, you know, Brian, the other the other piece here is this was essentially an eight-day visit with maybe a couple of hours of official business of the two prime ministers meeting. Now, you know try to explain to the taxpayers of Canada why we should be paying for an eight-day photo opportunity for, for the Prime Minister and his family and his, and his entourage to travel all over the country with a two-hour meeting with the PM of India where there's no major agreement. It just doesn't add up to me. Well, so, but his uh, supporters keep saying it was a great success because of that, that, that one announcement of one day on one day of some contracts. So I want to ask you, and just for people that are tuning in just now, I'm speaking with Professor Vivek Deasia. He's an associate professor of economics. I want to point that out, economics and philosophy at Carleton. And he specializes in Indian economic and political affairs. So with those qualifications, I wanted to, to put that out there for extra emphasis. This trade deal, $1 billion between the two countries over several years. How significant is that? 5,800 jobs uh, when, you know, in a, in a bad month, we can create 20,000 new jobs. Indeed. And also, Brian, I should say that there's been kind of a very bizarre, inadvertent piece of fake news. So Mr. Trudeau actually misspoke when he said a billion. In fact, that's not correct. It's more like 150 or 200 million. It's not peanuts, but it's not a billion. And as you say, a couple of thousand jobs will be created. This did not require a prime ministerial visit, frankly, for this level of deal making. Uh, It really is, you know, uh, not something that would warrant the amount of expense and effort required in setting up this eight-day-long visit. So the real missing piece is no trade agreement, no investment agreement. Those have gone begging. And now it'll be, I think, actually, frankly, a bit harder to, to do those, those deals, given how badly this, this trip has, has uh, gone off. Do you think that people will be less likely to follow through because they they, they feel slighted over... The outfits, and quite frankly, I mean, yeah, 
I think it's incredibly serious that we had a senior official, one that I believe to be Canada's national security advisor. And if it wasn't the national security advisor, it was probably the clerk of the Privy Council. I mean, it's got to be at that level out there trying to sell the media that it was the Indian government with a plot to embarrass Trudeau. That's how Atwal ends up at this thing. No, that is truly bizarre. This is something that, you know, sort of absolutely, you know, hard to understand. Well, how you would even buy a story like that, and as you say, a very senior person, we believe the the National Security Advisor, we're not sure officially, but that seems to be who it is, would put this story out there. And, you know, if you know politics in India, as, as I do, this makes no sense, because if anything, Mr. Modi and, and his advisors wanted to try and smooth things over and not actually create a crisis by somehow inviting this guy to come to, for, for, the, for the event. The, you know, it simply is, is a very bizarre conspiracy theory, Brian. Let me ask you about the potential for Canada in India. I mean, it, right, right now it's about in uh, manufactured goods, I, I believe it's about $8 billion a year. That's correct. Uh, a bit more in um, can be added on for goods and services. But when I look at the size of the Indian economy, when I look at the fact that, you know, speaking with uh, Shuvloi Majumdar last week from McDonald Laurier, and he said so many people in India don't have banking setups properly yet, uh, which means they also likely don't, likely don't have insurance. These are industries that Canada is very strong in. We've also been strong in going into uh, other parts of the world that haven't had the, the same infrastructure, like the Caribbean, like parts of South America, and helping set that up or grow it and establish it. We have tremendous opportunities in banking, in insurance, in agriculture, in heavy manufactured goods. We're not talking selling them the textiles out of Montreal. That would be like taking cold in Newcastle. But, I mean, isn't there so much opportunity in India? No, there, there, there is, Brian, and I've been saying for years to anyone who will listen that this is an under, this, this is, an, this is a, you know, way below par, that we could be doing so much more, but we, are, we really have, have underperformed on the Canada-India file for a bunch of reasons. I think, to be fair, it isn't entirely, you know, the, the, the fault of, of the folks here. Mr. Modi, you know, is sees himself as, as the leader of a big emerging power, so they're focused on the U.S., Russia, China, and so on. But having said that, if we had done our homework and actually paved the, you know, the, the groundwork for a real significant investment or trade accord, then we'd be talking. But I'm afraid you know, the, only, the only one possible interpretation of this visit is it really was playing to, to the votes back home, voters back well, home, and not to what was going on there. The trade minister wasn't on the trip. The yeah. agriculture minister yeah. wasn't on the trip. The foreign affairs minister only arrived towards the end of the trip. Exactly. But our sport minister was photographed in an Indian wedding uh, gown next to the prime minister wearing a groom's outfit. So apparently <laughs> they got married. Uh, but our sport minister is there because she represents a riding in British Columbia with a large Indian population. Well, this was all really about is. pandering. It is absolutely about pandering to ethnic vote banks. Let's call a spade a spade, Brian. Uh, and this was taxpayers' money being used to set up these wonderful photo ops that you can be sure will figure next year when we, when we, we go back to vote. Uh, and I don't have a problem with them taking the photo ops. Uh, Stephen Harper did it. 
Christy Clark's done it. Kathleen Wynne's done it. Jean Chrétien's done it. But all the politicians I've named, and I've gone across several party lines there, uh, they all put the work first and the photo op second. And this seemed to be about, what, there was the Tuesday he worked and there was the Friday he worked. And while he was in Punjab, he had a late scheduled meeting with Captain Singh. Yeah, <laughs> and that was bizarre, yeah. that was added on to his day of sightseeing yeah. under pressure. Exactly. So you're you know, all so indeed we had basically a two-hour official meeting at the very end of an eight-day-long visit, and you know the the folks at that and then I've spoken to people you know off the record about this were not keen on this kind of a visit. They wanted to have the business part first, and then if he wanted to go off and do his little photo op. Uh, they were fine with that. So this was something that was not, you know, did not sit well with them. Mr. Modi did not even tweet a welcome. He's very active on social media, mm-hmm. as you know. So all the signs were were bad, you know, from 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 the start, Brian. Let's talk uh, about the threats you're getting because you shared some of the emails last night, and I retweeted one of them. You were sharing these on social media that uh, after a CBC piece that, in my view, was designed just to paint over the problems in the prime minister's trip said, this guy, he was quoted everywhere. Everyone just went to this one guy that doesn't like Justin Trudeau. You're getting threatening emails from people uh, saying, Sikhs are a growing population. We have the power, you know, and, and we're after you. Was it something about praying to your cow? There was something about that I should pray to my cow that I'm not kicked out of Carlton and lose my tenure and get back to <laughs> India. <laughs> so I, I guess they're figuring you're a Hindu and you pray to cows. Well, I, I, I am a Hindu. I don't pray to cows. Okay. Uh, it, it seemed rather bigoted. It, it, well, it was, <laughs> uh, and it was accusing me of bigotry, which was the most bizarre thing. But, you know, it really has been uh, a little uh, unsettling that I've, you know, I challenge anyone to listen to all of the remarks I've made to a bunch of different media to say anything they're anti-Sikh. I'm calling out what I see our problems with the visit, uh, the clear fact of pandering to Khalistani extremism. Now, we just have, you know, we have a problem in Canada, Brian. We've somehow normalized Khalistan extremism other than other types of, of, of extremism. I mean, you know, can you imagine, you mentioned the IRA, can you imagine the prime minister being at a gathering, say, where the 9-11 attackers were, you know, were being honored? No. It would simply never happened. But somehow... The worst terrorist attack in our, you know, in our entire history has somehow been normalized. I find it really baffling and perplexing. It is, uh, it is truly perplexing, and hopefully, and I agree with Ujo Desong, who's been a brave man on this. Very brave indeed. And um, he's called for all the parties to shun away. Hopefully that's what comes from this. Uh, Professor uh, Deheja, thanks so much for your time tonight. We'll have to have you back on to talk about the opportunities in India. I've been banging this drum for more than a decade and we got to get her done. Thanks, Brian. Thank you. Uh, Thank coming you. up next, we're going to jump across the country to speak with our morning show host at our sister station, AM 1150 in Kelowna. The Greyhound bus is in that uh, major crash on the Coquihalla Trail. Left from Kelowna, Phil knows those highways intimately. We'll talk to him briefly when we return. Remember, he's on your side. This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly 
on News Talk 580 CFRA. And then a second semi, within, the, within 10 seconds, came down and it went off the road and it speared down into the first semi that went over the bank. So it's halfway down the bank. And then not long after that, a third semi came along and rammed into the back of the second semi. Great, Ms. Elwood, describing what happened with that bizarre accident near Hope, British Columbia. <sighs> yeah, I drove this road a couple of years ago, going out to Penticton. Missed a flight in Vancouver, a connecting flight into Penticton, had to drive over the Rockies. And the whole way is we're stopping for coffee and gas and making sure that we're on the right road as you drive over the freaking Rockies. Locals kept telling us, oh, better hurry. There's a storm coming. And that frightened the heck out of us. You don't want to be caught in a storm in the Coquihalla. That much I know, despite having never driven it. Yet last night there was a storm, this accident happening, and Phil Johnson is our morning show host in Kelowna, British Columbia, AM 1150. Um, and, and Phil, you know these roads well. Unless something's changed, and, and I haven't seen the latest update, nobody died in this. 130 stranded, uh, 29 injured, I'm told. But so far, it, it, has anyone perished from this? No, your numbers are are, uh, are are spot on, Brian. And and I have to tell you that early this morning we talked with uh, some folks out of the RCMP um, uh, highways division, the accident reconstruction people, and so on. Uh, and uh, the interview that I had this morning, the the RCMP super uh, or, or super basically said, I would measure this as an eleven on a scale of one to ten. And I still walk around and I look at the at the vehicular carnage that's out here, and I'm absolutely amazed that we didn't lose a life. Now, at least one of those Greyhound buses uh, rolled out of your town, rolled out of Kelowna. Um, uh, both 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 of, those, of them did. both of the buses uh, had left Kelowna. Uh, both of them were were loaded. Uh, one had 57 people on board. I think one of the other buses uh, had a couple more. They were sort of traveling in tandem. Um, and uh, uh, again, it's uh, it's you know, you, 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 I heard your I heard your earlier interview where somebody was suggesting the three the three big rigs, uh, the two buses, uh, some additional vehicles. This never happens out here, Brian. Even despite the kind of conditions that you described for the Coquihalla. You know, we hear about those kinds of accidents on on your 401 or the Queenie or whatever the, mm-hmm. the big highway down there is. Well, and, they've and even we got a TV about show about it, Rescue 401 on Discovery Channel now. And, and, and we have our own version of that, which is uh, the highway through hell. Mm-hmm. Um, with with one of the wrecking crews, but you know, I got to say that uh, that that your numbers are spot on. Twenty two ground and air ambulances were scrambled to the scene. Uh, there were at least uh, four separate uh, search and rescue teams, three fire departments. That, you know, and if you're going to measure the the magnitude of this by the number of people who were called so, out, uh, it was something else. What, what happened then? I mean, it's a beautiful road to drive through, and I'd recommend to everyone to drive through the Rockies. But I know from driving through parts of northern Quebec, you know, uh, through the Jacques Cartier Park north of Quebec City up towards the Saguenay, if there's a big enough storm coming through and you're going through on isolated roads in uh, bad conditions, they will shut down the road. Do they ever shut down this road? Should it have been shut down? Uh, 
No. Were people just no. surprised? What? Listen, this is the main link between uh, the interior of British Columbia and on through to, to the number one. Uh, thousands upon thousands of vehicles a day, and the only time this road shuts down is for the kind of accident that we're talking about now, which in the minds of a lot of people, by the way, are happening with more frequency than than should be. A lot of people are pointing big fingers to highway maintenance, um, you know. Uh, uh, we, we had those issues here a little while ago, yeah. Yeah, uh, so so those kinds of conversations, again, have, have risen and come back. The best information that I have is is that it started to rain, not snow, uh, because it was uh, it was pretty warm and it started to rain. But, of course, uh, the, the rain hits the, the frozen ground, the cold ground, perfect black ice conditions, and that's when the crazy man started and everything just went sideways and it just kept compounding on it. Uh, vehicles were, were up against each other. Uh, I've seen one picture that shows the cab of a tractor trailer uh, effectively submerged or, or squished underneath the rear end of a trailer of another 18-wheeler. You, you know, just, you really, you, yeah, yeah, just amazing that uh, that that there there wasn't more uh, no physical harm and, and and that no one was killed. Uh, thank goodness, thank God for that, Phil. Uh, we'll chat with you on Friday. Politics on your station, but thanks for coming on uh, mine tonight. Always look forward. Thank you, Brian. Uh, Phil Johnson, host of the early edition on AM 1150 in Kelowna. And uh, I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. We'll give you the rundown behind the scenes of what happened with Patrick Brown when we come back. This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Follow the outrage on Twitter at CFRA Ottawa. Anything good happen in Ontario politics today? Anything interesting? Anything exciting at all happen in Ontario politics today? Um, hmm. Maybe. Maybe there was more action on trade deadline day for the Ontario PCs than there was in the NHL. In fact, I was having fun with that earlier today, tweeting out, Uh, different uh, trade scenarios. Because here in Ottawa, of course, everyone's just talking about one thing. Eric Carlson, Eric Carlson, Eric Carlson. Is he going to get traded? Well, uh, he did not get traded. Patrick Brown kind of did, though. So this morning I was tweeting out, latest on Brown Barry is that the Ontario PC party is looking to trade Brown to the BC Liberals for a draft pick and future considerations. Then I tweeted out, now hearing a third team and Eric Carlson could be part of the deal for Brown Barry. None of that came to fruition. Two resignations today. Resignation from the leadership race, but not from his seat as an MPP. And that would be Patrick Brown. And then Dr. Eric Hoskins, who is Kathleen Wynne's uh, health minister, resigned. He is apparently going to be taking a position if it hasn't been announced already. And it may have since I started the show. Uh, taking a position with Justin Trudeau to head up a pharmacy, a pharmacare program. But here's the reality. I had the, the story about Patrick Brown 
long before it became official. 2.45 is when I first tweeted it out. He confirmed it at 5.01 with his own tweet. What went down? Because last night, John Iveson of National Post had tweeted out Patrick Brown, that he's hearing from the same people that Patrick Brown could be looking to get out of the race. Well, immediately I try and get a hold of Elise Mills and say, what's going on? I'm texting her and end up chatting to her later on and saying, what the heck is happening? And she says, no, Brian, no, no, it's not going on that way. He, Patrick Brown is in the race. And she talks to me about how uh, the leadership campaign is energized. They're feeling good. They've just released to uh, a poll and they heard there was another one coming showing that Patrick Brown's in the lead. He is in poll position in the Ontario leadership race with Christine Elliott just behind him. She tells me that the uh, the fact is that um, they are in it to win, that Brown is determined to win, that he got back up off the mat. And then this morning I wake up and there's a story from the Toronto Sun saying that he's thinking about leaving. Interesting. Uh, What do they cite? They cite the unending questions about his, the allegations of sexual misconduct that came from that CTV story on January the 24th. Then the Globe and Mail has another story, and it says Brown's thinking about leaving, but it says, well, the real problem are these questions around his finances. And, of course, Randy Hillier has put in and said, we need to have an investigation about this. And the Integrity Commissioner confirmed today that they are investigating Patrick Brown's finances. And was he trying to get a a deal with a man that later became an MP, essentially, in some people's views, selling off a seat? And the Globe also raised questions about who's funding Brown's campaign, which apparently money's no issue on the Brown campaign. Well, who's funding it? In the end, what did Patrick Brown say when he came out and announced that he was leaving? Well, it was about a five-page letter, and it was addressed to Ontario Leadership Election Organizing Committee Chair Hartley Lefton and CEO Jeff Ritchie. And also sent to Jag Badwall, the president of the PC Party of Ontario. He says he wants to focus on several things, including, and I'll read them in order, focus on holding CTV accountable. He has filed his statement of libel against CTV, which is not a full lawsuit, but that's the first step. And the next step is a statement of claim. And then they move on to arguing that out in court. But he's filed the statement of libel. So he says he wants to focus on holding CTV accountable. Goes on for several paragraphs for that. Says he wants to focus on policy. And he's calling on the remaining leadership contenders to put thoughtful, considered, affordable, pragmatic public policy first. Then he says he wants to protect family and friends. And this is what I was being spun later today. Once it became clear that he was out, once I confirmed that he was out, they said, well... You know, his mother went into the hospital, and it's true. She went into the hospital. She has been having trouble dealing with this, and it wasn't just an episode. She is apparently still in hospital, or was earlier today. The anxiety, the stress, the pressure of dealing with what her family's been going through, which is not just the allegations against Patrick, but they also say 
uh, threats. Patrick Brown says it has become very clear that my political adversaries collaborating with the media through an endless supply of rumors and innuendo will stop at nothing to preserve their own self-interest as long as I am in the race. They are no longer just targeting me. They are now targeting friends and family. I can take a punch, but it sings when it is unfairly directed at the people I love instead of me. Lifelong friends were subjected to attacks as soon as I entered the leadership race. Shots were fired indiscriminately against anyone associated with me. Friends within the party, business colleagues in Barrie, great people who worked with me at Queen's Park. They didn't sign up for this. It pains me to cause them this difficulty. So, and then he says he wants to to move forward. He still wants to be an MPP for Barrie. But he pulled out of the race officially at 5 o'clock. Last night he was on a call, and I was told something very different than what was out there by people like Steve Pakin. And you've heard Steve Pakin's comments that Brown was emotional and thinking about quitting. And I said, well, what's going on? No, 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 no. He was emotional because of all the support he's been receiving and how great the race is going in this poll. Uh, but he is still in the race. Then this morning, the two articles, then more information Then the Toronto Star story coming out about how police are investigating the nomination race in Hamilton. Now, if you remember, who in the province of Ontario was probably the hardest on Patrick Brown and the uh, Ontario PC party over the nomination debacle? Me. I took this up last year. I took it up after Ottawa, West Nepean, And I focused on it like a laser, pushing it over and over and over again. For one simple reason, what happened in Ottawa, West Nepean was wrong. And then months later, there was the nomination race in Hamilton West, Flamborough Dundas. That's the one that police are investigating now. As much as I think that something wrong happened there, I do not believe that police should be investigating Party nomination races. These are private organizations. They have their own laws and bylaws. What what are police going to do? Accuse them of violating party bylaws? That is not a criminal code violation. That is not a provincial offense. So it boggles my mind while they're doing it. But as part of that investigation, police get their hands on emails. Emails from Brown saying, get me the result I want. But he tells them not to disqualify anyone because well, the kitchen's too hot. As they in Glengarry Prescott Russell, in Carlton, elsewhere, um, I believe in Markham, in Richmond Hill, they they just disqualified anyone they didn't like to get their person in. They did this over and over again. And in Ottawa, West Nepean, they got it down to two and then stuffed the ballot boxes to get the result they wanted. So Patrick Brown wanted the result he wanted that came out the integrity commissioner investigation came out there was no chance no chance at all that he could stay in after all of this i I don't discount what he says about his family that's obviously got to play into this but you can't deny the star story with the emails get me the result i want you can't deny the Integrity Commissioner investigating his finances. 
there's no way that he would be able to go forward. I thought Patrick Brown had a very good chance of winning this race. Why? Because he had signed up so many of those members, or they'd become members while he was leader, and they backed him. So there was a good chance they would back him now. How's it all going to play out? Well, I think that Brown is going to be endorsing Christine Elliott, moving over to her camp. In fact, he did mention something about Christine Elliott. Uh, Just looking at the letter now. Mm. Hard to read a letter off of Twitter when it's this long. Uh, But he uh, I think he's going to go over to Christine Elliott. We'll see where his campaign team goes. And Elliott is going to be in a stronger position because of this. If you were to ask me to handicap it today, I would say Doug Ford is likely in the lead at this point because he has a motivated base. He knows how to organize, and he could pull this off. We'll see. After 8.30, we'll talk to a a pundit, Dennis Matthews, who's been involved in federal and provincial politics for a long time, used to work in Stephen Harper's PMO, and he worked with me at Sun News. This guy knows his politics. He's down in Toronto now. We'll get a sense from him of where it is going. Coming up next, I think Elsie has a few things he wants to say about hockey. Is there some hockey thing on today? Trade deadline day? What? I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. If you're watching on Facebook Live, hey, join us for the rest of the show. We take calls from across the country on the 1-800 number. You can listen at CFRA.com or download the iHeartRadio app, always free, Apple or Android. Download it today. Be little. He's on your side. This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. The only direction I got from my boss, Mr. Melnick, is make the best hockey deals for the Ottawa Senators. And today, I didn't feel that there were good enough hockey deals for this organization. Pierre Dorian talking about how he didn't trade Eric Carlson. Oh, who's been saying that? I have been. Were you on the uh, trade bandwagon, Elsie? Stephen Ellsworth? Working the board, making me sound good, producing the show. Ellsworth, what did you come down on? You thought he was going to be traded. Admit it. I feared that he was. And I'm happy that he's still with the Senators, but I fear that this trade talk is just merely panning down until the end of the season. Yeah, it could happen again, and this guy is a big guy. Look, they traded Derek Broussard, and this is what I don't get. Uh, Memo to the Senators' marketing division, if it still exists. Um, maybe it's just Eugene Melnick working out of a bar in the Barbados. I don't know. Is it Barbados or Bahamas he lives in? I think it's yeah. Barbados. Okay. Out of his Caribbean bar, whichever island he's on. Um, we just traded Derek Broussard. He's a good Hull boy, right? Mm-hmm. He's from Hull. Uh, J.G. Pajot, he's from Hull. Cody Cece's from Orleans. Mm-hmm. We had these three local boys. Could have been marketing that. I think that was great. I don't know if they've got another one that I just don't know about. They could have been marketing that. They could be marketing Eric Carlson all over the place to sell the team because he's well-known, well-loved. He's just married, got that beautiful wife. In one of the other clips we played, they're talking about how they're going to have their kid here. Mm-hmm. He wants to stay in Ottawa. Use this. Don't don't blow an opportunity. And I like how Eugene Melnick is like, we need to sell more tickets. I really think the Sens stand to lose fans if they trade a guy like Carlson. Uh, well, they'll be shopping at Tarps R Us because they'll be tarping off even more seats if that happens. 
And if they do, in fact, trade Eric Carlson, you got to give the fans something else to convince them to say, okay, let's go to the Sens game. And I think it, at that point, I would suggest anyways, they don't have to take my suggestions, but I would suggest slashing prices, slashing concession prices, slashing parking prices, slashing ticket prices. By okay. how much, I don't know. No, no. You, they don't have to – well, I think they should, should uh, cut parking fees mm. and, and the concessions for sure um, because if you sell more of that stuff, you're going to be making more money. You're going to be making less per product, but if you can boost it by 30%, you know, people aren't buying hot dogs and an extra drink because it costs too much and parking costs too much, which is ridiculous because it takes you forever to get out. Yeah. Um, they need to have Disney come in and they need to do this now because, uh, you know, even if they build the new arena, it's going to be forever. You ever been to Disney, Stephen? No, I haven't they, been outside of uh, Canada. The first they, I've been is PEI. Okay. Disney, they, they the cars go in and there are people the whole way. Where do you go to get in? And they have you park everyone facing the same direction. You got to park a specific way, and then leaving, they've got a whole process to get out. This is the happiest place on earth because you're not screaming at the parking. <laughs> you leave a Sens game angry, even if they win. Here's here's part of the reason why I think the Eric Carlson thing uh, got pushed back a bit because there just happens to be this Swedish defenseman named Rasmus Dallin who's mm-hmm. expected to go first overall in the upcoming NHL draft, getting a bit more hype than Carlson did in his draft year. Um, the NHL draft lottery is in late April, and the Sens have a shot at winning that draft lottery, but it's even tougher to win the lottery than it was five years ago because they have a lottery for the first overall pick, the second overall pick, and the third overall pick. The Colorado Avalanche, where they got Matt Duchesne from, had the best odds of getting the top pick last year. They slid to fourth. Okay. They have several top picks, though. So this guy, if if he goes number one overall and he, he goes to go someone else, overall, in my opinion. Um, they still have a, a, a lot of good picks and a lot of good opportunities to pick up other people. But you still need those franchise players to stick around. I think it'd be foolhardy. Um, I don't know what they're going to do in the summer. I know all the, 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 the uh, talk now is that they'll trade them in the summer. We'll see. My, 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 unf- my uh, fear is that if Rasmus Dallin is going first overall and the Sens win the lottery, I fear that Eric Carlson isn't here for much longer because uh, Rasmus Dallin would be the cheaper option that they would go with to build I, their I say, around. I say keep both. Keep both. If you can, absolutely. So, if you can. I, I, I will give you my prediction closer to the time, and you should listen to me, okay? Because <laughs> I listen to the experts and I make my own decision, and Matt Harris who's a big hockey fan, now owes me 20 bucks because I bet him the other day. <laughs> well, see, the difference between me and Matt Harris is I don't bet money when I make bets. Oh, you, you got to put some skin in the game. So he kept saying he was going to be traded. I said 20 bucks. He said, yeah, I, I'll give you that. Well, yeah, he's giving me that now, isn't he? I'm Brian Lilly. This is uh, Beyond the News. It's 830. Uh, we will talk to Dennis Matthews, conservative insider, when we come back. With Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. All 
I want to finish the job I started. I want to finish the job of getting this province back on track. <laughs> well, so much for that. 11 days his comeback lasted, and he left shortly after Carolyn Mulroney called for him to be out. This leadership race is no place for him to clear his name. The allegations, all the allegations that have come up recently are serious, and he needs to address them properly uh, outside the context of this race. Uh, I've asked that he step aside, that he put himself, uh, he put the party above himself, uh, and I've called on the other candidates to do the same. And so at 5.01, a couple hours after I had announced that uh, it wasn't Patrick Brown, as I would say, follow me or catch up later, um, Patrick Brown resigned. He announced in a, a, a resignation letter that rivals war and peace for its length that he was out of the leadership race. Uh, just before we get to our next guest, I do want to, uh, to correct the record here. Somebody asked me, was asking, who is the third name, the name that's blacked out? You've heard of these... Uh, documents that the Hamilton police have. They're investigating the Hamilton West Flamborough Dundas uh, nomination race. And I had said, well, I'm going to guess because one of the names black is blacked out. Patrick Brown emailed three people. He emailed Rick Dykstra, Bob Stanley, the guy behind the Ottawa West Nepean fiasco. And he emailed another third person. That name was blacked out. And I said, I'm going to guess the other name is the guy that likely handed it over to police of the star. And that guess is Ali Kanvelshi. Ali Kanvelshi was Brown's chief of staff. I'm told it definitely wasn't Velshi, that he wasn't involved in, in, in the nomination races. So was it Andrew Boddington, who was the campaign manager? Was it this Logan person who was often involved in these things as well, including was here in Ottawa, West Nepean, and I'm told in Hamilton? I don't know. Maybe one day we'll find out. But right now I want, want to bring in Dennis Matthews. He is a, a former political staffer we'll call him a recovering political staffer he spent two different stints uh, with the conservatives including time at the prime minister's office doing uh marketing for the government and he also helped start up sun news with me so he's a good guy dennis welcome to the program great thanks for having me wanted your sense of because you're down in toronto and because i know you are uh not completely active in politics but you're recovering so you still pay attention to the uh, what's going on. I wanted to get your sense of, of what's going on with all of this uh, in terms of where the race is headed now. But first, your reaction to Patrick Brown cancelling his campaign dramatically after dramatically entering 11 days ago. Well, look, I better confess something off the top. I, I actually thought provincial politics was boring. Like, I'd always been involved federally, followed it, and, and I mean... You're from like, B.C. Where, hold on. You're from B.C. where it's crazy, and premiers go to jail. I mean, it's not Illinois-like, but, you know, it's getting there. Actually, there, there was a streak. I think it was three in a row in B.C. who all faced significant legal problems. So, yeah, maybe I should say, with the exception of B.C., I thought Ontario <laughs> politics was boring. Maybe that's a better way to... <laughs> okay. Uh, and it used to be. It, not now. The crazy thing, you take these these timelines, 11 days, I mean, if you took everything that happened in the last month and spread it out over a year or even two years, we would still be talking about it. So it's just, I mean, it's the, the time frames here are, are absolutely crazy. But, uh, but look, I think Patrick did the right thing. There's there's no doubt he didn't get due process on the on the original story that broke and sort of started his, his downfall here. But life's not fair. You know, he generated a gigantic target on his back, and it just got worse and worse every day. The, the Toronto Star was on to him, all kinds of leaks. Uh, at the end of the day, he did the right thing, and and you do get rewarded for that in the end. So 
do you think how much stock do you put in what Patrick Brown said? He wants to focus on uh, holding CTV to account. He's suing CTV and the parent company of this radio station, Bell Media, for that original story. Um, he says he wants to focus on policy and there were threats to his family. How much do you put in what he said versus the star breaking this morning? What was in those uh, emails? Get me the result I want in a, in a nomination that, like Ottawa West Nepean, was completely, completely gerrymandered um, and, and ended up with lawsuits and a police investigation, plus the, uh, the what do they call it at Queen's Park, the integrity commissioners investigating his finances. You got a scale in front of you. How much weight are you putting on each of those? Well, I think there's, there's one other there's one other uh, piece I, I throw in the mix. There is just could he actually win in the end? And you know, I think if his campaign team and and his own polling results or whatever had indicated that he actually could, uh, you know, all those other things make they, they were just aside. pushing that he was but, in first place according to a poll. Well, they they were pushing or somebody was pushing, but um, they, you know, it, it's more than just polling. There's obviously lots of calculations involved <laughs> with whether he could actually win in the end, but. But like I think all those things you mentioned, you start putting them on a scale, and it just and it just totals up. Uh, like this was not headed in a great direction, and and with every passing day, he seemed to have another uh, another piece uh, land on him, and just you can you can imagine like what's this guy going to look like in two or three weeks at this pace, like sort of a story a day. Um, you know, at this point, he can at least focus on on rebuilding his his reputation to to some degree, but uh, it was just hard to imagine him actually digging his way out of this. In terms yeah. of leadership right now and where they're all stacking, uh, I'll be up front. I had high hopes for Carolyn Mulrooney off the start. She's very impressive. Yeah. Had her on uh, the morning rush on Friday when it was in it the ungodly hour of 6 a.m. Um, <laughs> she And interviewed her at Sun as well on her shoebox project. Very impressive woman. Um, but she's not lighting the world on fire. Uh, Tanya Granick Allen is uh, lighting the world on fire, but she starts from a smaller base of support than the others. And uh, so she, I think she's going to impact the race, but unlikely to win. Yeah. So I, I'm looking at it as between Doug Ford and Christine Elliott now. Um, mm-hmm. Would you handicap it the same way? Yeah, like I, I, you know, what, what really struck me this past weekend is just that each of the uh, the, the main three candidates and 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 Tanya and as well are are generating momentum in their own way. You know, Doug is clearly bringing out the biggest crowds. Like there's sort of no doubt about that, and and he's dominating on on social media and, and others. Uh, the Christine campaign, I you know, I thought it started really slowly, and almost like it was an afterthought. You know, she kind of got dragged into it, and there wasn't a lot of energy at the beginning, but. You're seeing as, as the Brown stuff got crazier and crazier, sort of a consensus emerging that maybe, you know, maybe she's the, uh, you know, maybe she's the one that can stop the crazy and win as opposed to just as opposed to just win. But you also started to see Mulroney getting her elbows up a little bit. She started rolling out some policies, she's getting some better crowds. You know, I think she's definitely got the most to climb up of, of the candidates. I sort of agree with your assessment that she's that she's a bit behind, but she started getting her elbows up a little bit. She threw some. She was, you know, arguably leading the charge to get Brown to drop out of the race. I, you know, I think people. Well, and so so he were, did. But now Brown is going to go over to the Christine Elliott campaign and take a lot of his on the ground organizers with him. Yeah, and that and that will be a big. If that is the case, that'll be a big factor for for Christine. I mean, there's been a lot of weirdness going. Well, that's going to happen. Like I keep saying, you can listen to me or you can catch up later. 
I, you know, I, I listen to you, so I, I don't, I don't <laughs> have to catch up later. But uh, look, there's a lot of weirdness between the the, the Mulroney campaign and and, uh, and Patrick's campaign, and that a lot of the organizers from from Patrick's team had gone over to to her almost right away. The so next they, morning. Yeah, or as uh, you know, as a former son colleague of ours, Alex Pearson said, they were sort of racing over there as the news was breaking, or maybe even the day before. But it um, it happened quickly, and I think that put a lot of uh, uh, sort of bad blood between two people that otherwise might have actually you know been sort of natural allies throughout this. Um, Doug Ford, as you said, is, is doing well with social media, and he's also good with a quip. His latest thing is. Uh what is it about trading win? Cap taxes and trade win. Trade win. Yeah, that's a good yeah, line. That's a good line. People remember it. Tell me how important these sorts of things are in uh, in in terms of marketing. In uh, well, you I, know, because that that was your specialty. Yeah. That remains your specialty. Yeah. Uh, like and, can... and people have a, a short window. Voting voting begins Friday. You can log if you've got your paperwork. You can log into your computer on Friday. So Patrick's out. These candidates have. Uh, just over a week until the voting's complete, how do they sell their message, each of them? Yeah, like I think it would be hugely important if this was a long race with a long sign-up period where uh, you know you could persuade people and there could be great moments in debates and people could change their minds and you'd have undecided people that would sort of drift from, from camp to camp. But you know the reality is here is the membership is already locked in, so there's no, there's no setting up new people. So I view for... Or, you know, Doug, you may have these great lines, and that, and that was a great line that would naturally sort of attract a lot of people into your camp. But it can't in this case because, you know, people have already signed up. So, you know, I, I sort but of— But I, I think most of the voting base was signed up before Patrick Brown even resigned. Yeah, exactly. So no, you, exactly. you've got to somehow reach them with these quips, with these lines— yeah. When, and this is where I, I actually put a little bit more emphasis, even though I'm a, a marketing advertising person at heart. I, I put a little more emphasis on the organizational side of things, given that you take the, you know, you take your 125 or so ridings and you're you're dividing them uh, by points and, and a ranked ballot. Like what, you know, where I usually look at, you know, local MPs or, or MPPs rather and, and their endorsements and that kind of stuff. And I usually sort of say, well, how much does that really matter in such a compressed time frame? With this kind of more complicated system of riding by riding base, I think organizationally is is a little more critical this time than you know sort of some of these great moments which uh, can normally define a campaign. Uh, this is not the usual campaign; it's all electronic voting. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll be interesting to see. I think this is the biggest race that this has been done in Canada so far. I'm, yeah. a, I'm against the idea of electronic voting for. Um, uh, national campaigns and and, and yeah. real votes is is too much, uh, too many potential problems. But normally, when we talk about an election, we talk about getting out the vote. You know, yeah. two thousand twelve. <clears throat> you were with me at Sun as we watched that Barack Obama just had a better get out the vote campaign than Mitt Romney. Yeah. Romney's uh, computer system crashed. They couldn't keep track of who voted, who hadn't. They couldn't go around and pick people up and drive them to the polls because they didn't know. Uh, In this case, and we do the same thing here. Oh, uh, Mrs. So-and-so hasn't voted. She needs a ride. Send somebody with a car, pick her up, take her to vote. Uh, How do you do that in a campaign where you've got to make sure that somebody goes to their computer, logs on, uploads their photo ID, um, puts in their pen and votes? Well, I think in this case, having sort of house, you know, house parties and, and getting people to come and have a laptop or two in your house and get people to vote is going to be really big. Right? And the same for doing it at campaign events. But, you know, you get to the complication here. You know, I'm a party member. 
uh, my wife's a party member. Neither of us have received anything in the mail yet. And, you know, time is ticking. You've got until March 2nd to even register to be able to to vote. So it's, it's you know, organization is going to be just, just so key. And, and you've been to a lot of conservative events covering them over the years. You know, this is not the youngest, hippest crowd that comes out to these things. You know, this is a much I don't know what older, you're talking about. Uh, well, you and you know, you know, I'm hip, but uh, but <laughs> most people who are there are are not. And and you just imagine a scenario here where you've got somebody in their 80s trying to open up their laptop and log in and and vote. It's just it's going to be it's going to be as much an informative uh, process as actually convincing people to vote in the first place. Look, I, I've registered with these online things where you've got to put in your uh, photo ID and you got to scan your driver's license, and it, it's a pain for me. Yeah. And I, I'm pretty tech savvy. Everyone says, oh, you know, you got teenagers. They must know more about tech. No, I'm still showing them and doing the, the sorts of things the party requires is a pain. So I, I know that lots of the candidates um, and elected MPPs will be holding um, yeah. sessions to teach people. And um, I, I'll give out details on one of those in Canada in a little bit. Dennis, it's been great talking to you. We'll have to do this again. Okay, thank you very much for having me. Have a great night. Dennis Matthews, he's a consultant in Toronto, a former ad exec with the uh, Conservatives that worked many campaigns, and even better than that, he helped start Sun News. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. We'll give you details on that event, on how to vote to make sure that you are able to. When we come back, I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Brian Lilly, News Talk 580 CFRA. So Before I get to Justin Trudeau and his government appointing Omar Khadr's lawyer, yeah, they're appointing Omar Khadr's lawyer to the federal court, I have to tell you that they're doing something absolutely crazy. Have you noticed that the entire downtown section, if you come down to work in one of the many, many office towers, like thousands and tens of thousands of people do. We're spending all this money for LRT. I think they're creating the uh, the prospect for LRT to seem good because traffic has been hell for three years downtown Ottawa. And it's not just the LRT construction that's causing this. But now they've closed O'Connor. They had already reduced it by one lane for the bike lane to go in. Now it's completely closed. It, has it reopened yet? I'm not sure. I think it's supposed to stay closed for another little while. Now we're getting this memo from City Hall saying that for the design and construction for the renewal of Elgin Street from Gloucester to Isabella, they're going to be closing the street down. That's right. They are closing the street down. They're going to be taking away two lanes, by the way. Elgin's going down for um, from four lanes that include, during the daytime, during non-rush hour periods, parking. 
they're taking it down to two. Now, I said this was crazy at the time, and I remember quoting Counselor Tim Tierney, who had pointed out to me and others, well, wait a minute. You're, you're going to have two lanes. This is a bar district. Well, but we want nice patios. We want bigger sidewalks to have bigger patios because that's what's going to happen, right? They're going to expand the sidewalks, then the patios will get bigger, and people will have the same amount of area to walk in in the summertime. They are going to actually have nowhere for the cabs and the Ubers that pick up the drunk people at night to park. They're not going to be able to pull over anywhere because there's only going to be two lanes, so you can't stop. So they're going to pull into the residential side streets, and they're going to have drunk people telling the Uber to meet them or the cab to meet them at the residential side street. And then drunk people are going to be yelling at night, and counselors are going to get complaints, and the city will get complaints. But now we're getting word that they're actually going to be shutting the whole street down because we don't have enough problems in downtown Ottawa. So uh, they're going to have a full closure to the uh, of the street to traffic in 2019. I'm just trying to get the exact dates on when that'll happen. They say it'll begin sometime in 2019, and it's expected that Elgin will remain closed through most of 2019. This is a main street to get people out of downtown when they're leaving work. People take it to get to the canal. They take it to get to the 417. Now it's just going to be closed, just like we've done with O'Connor now, just like we've done with Queen. It's like we just like messing up with people commuting. They want to force you. They want to force you onto LRT. All right, quickly, let me get to the other story that you need to know about. And that is that Justin Trudeau has appointed a guy named John Norris to the federal court. Who's John Norris? Well, he's a lawyer. He's had a long practice legal career. I don't know him. But I, some somebody said that's Omar Khadr's lawyer. So I went to his website and I checked out who he is. I looked at the cases that he highlights. And the cases he highlights highlight an awful lot of convicted and accused terrorists, including Omar Khadr. He represented Khadr in one Supreme Court case, acted as an intervener in the two other cases, and was effectively supporting Khadr's position. He also acted for a man who's, I'm not even going to try and say his name. I'm sorry. I have trouble with Tamil names. They have more letters than I can count. Uh, But this guy was a Canadian sent to the U.S., convicted, spent two years in jail after he pled guilty to terrorism charges for helping the the Tamil Tigers materially. He also acted for Ray Jasser, one of the men convicted in the Via Rail plot to blow up passenger trains above the Niagara Gorge. Other notable clients, uh, Mahmoud Jabala, Adil Sharkawi, two of the men that got were on security certificates for a very long time, and several members of the Toronto 18. Now, why does this matter? None of it's illegal. None of it's immoral. Everyone is entitled to their own de- defense, their own day in court. But it shows where now Justice Norris's sympathies lie. Defense lawyers that I've watched this happen on the courts as I, I watch judges come down with their decisions. Defense lawyers that represent bank robbers and other criminals bring a certain sympathy to the court when they go to the bench. Prosecutors bring their own sympathy. We now have a judge with a shown sympathy for folks accused of the most heinous terrorist crimes, and he's been appointed to the court. I don't have to like it. I don't think you should either. You can find it at brianlilly.com or 
You can find it on my Twitter feed, twitter.com slash Brian Lilly or Facebook.com slash Brian Lilly. Back after this. This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Get some FaceTime with Brian. Join the resistance at Facebook.com slash 580CFRA. Let's face it, Eric married a girl from Ottawa. His first child will be born in Ottawa. We want to make sure that Eric can be here as long as we can. But at the same time, when we're in 29th place, you have a duty to listen to everything. And I think it would not be a smart thing not to listen to offers. Fair enough. Fair enough. But what did I say? I said he wouldn't be traded, folks. Even in sports, you can listen to Belil or you can catch up um, next week. In a couple days, you know, it's the same with what's going on. So um, politically, and and I'll talk to you in a minute about Patrick Brown. And I'd love to get your thoughts at 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility, or 1-800-580-CFRA. You want to email? It's beyondthenews at CFRA.com. Here's what you need to know about Justin Trudeau's visit to India. Beyond the disastrous visuals, which have people laughing at him around the world, we'll play some American left-wing comedians mocking him in a moment. But beyond that, beyond the fact that there really wasn't any business of, of note completed, I'm sorry, but $250 million of investment from India over four, over sorry several years. So that's three to four year window. Over the next three to four years, Indian companies will invest $250 million and create 5,800 jobs. That is nothing. 5,800 jobs on a monthly job report. StatsCan came out, uh, job report, I don't know if the next one is March 2nd or March 9th, but it's this week or next. We'll get the jobs report for February. And if it comes out and says there were 5,800 jobs created in Canada last month, well, people would be screaming, saying that's anemic. Yeah, it's no good. That's that's horrible growth. What's wrong with the economy? What's the slowdown? We need to fix this. So 5,800 over several years, that's nothing. So don't point to his, all you liberals listening, don't point to his great economic record. Jean Chrétien in 2002 or 2003 got $3.4 billion in old dollars. In, in 2003 dollars, he got $3.4 billion on a trip to India. But beyond all of that, beyond inviting the terrorist, whether he's reformed or not now, that's a label he has to wear. He pulled the trigger. He tried to assassinate an Indian politician on Canadian soil. He was part of an extremely violent group. Beyond all of that, Justin Trudeau was having a senior civil servant spread a conspiracy theory claiming that India may have been behind inviting Jasper Atwal to the reception to embarrass Trudeau and derail his trip. They actually had this senior government official who I believe to be the national security advisor, Daniel Jean, 
calling up media and giving them briefings. David Aiken from Global goes into great detail on how it all went down. I looked at that. I looked at other sources. I'm the one that named Gene. You can find my pieces on this at brianlilly.com. You want to find out why this is so serious, go to brianlilly.com. You can find it all over my socials. And look and realize that this is awful. And besides the fact, Justin Trudeau is in the middle of saying he wants to crack down on fake news. He's told Facebook, you better fix this. His Democratic Institutions Minister says they're giving this, the companies six months to fix their fake news problem or they're going to regulate them. He's creating fake news. Fake news that can harm a diplomatic and trading relationship that is vital to Canada's future. I'm sorry, it's 1.3 billion people. And it's not communist China where you go and you're checking in on your suppliers for your winery and you end up in jail. India's not like that. I'd much rather Canadian companies be dealing with Indian companies than Chinese companies, and that's no slight on Chinese people. That's a slight on the Chinese government and their system. And Justin Trudeau is out there spreading fake news and using the National Security Advisor. And if it's not the National Security Advisor, it's someone close to them or above them. Either way, it is a a firing or resigning offense for whoever put them up to it and for the person that did it. You are spreading a conspiracy theory about our ally, our trading partner, and then... And then when asked about it in the House of Commons, you refuse to answer like Ralphie Goodale, our public safety minister today. Mr. Speaker, is it the Prime Minister's belief that the government of India conspired and manipulated events in order to ensure the attendance of Jasbel Atwal, a convicted terrorist, at a reception in India last week with the Prime Minister? Minister of Public Safety. Mr. Speaker, as the, uh, as the Honourable Member knows, uh, I cannot discuss security details on the floor of the House, but I can tell her, I can tell her with absolute assurance that all Canadians can be assured that our police and our security agencies have done their job in relation to this visit, and they have done it very well. They did it very well. Hmm. Hmm. Is it done really well? I don't think so. I think the whole trip was a disaster. I'd like to get your thoughts on this. When we come back at 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility, I'll also play a couple of left-wing American comics mocking Justin Trudeau's trip. They noticed down south, and they called him out for it. We'll also get in more into Patrick Brown, and we'll take your calls in that. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. With Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA.
How bad was Justin Trudeau's trip to India? Is it just me making fun of him? Is it just me or are other people also making fun of Justin Trudeau? He used to go to country after country and just get rave reviews. I mean, they loved him. Vanity Fair would do profiles. You get profiles in the New Yorker, New York Times, Washington Post. They just love Justin Trudeau. And then he went to India. And two of the big-time late-night comics in the States, Trevor Noah and John Oliver, have been laughing at him and making their audiences laugh along with them. This is in addition to all the other foreign media that wrote critical stories. But we can't always just be angry. Well, I'm I'm not angry. I laugh an awful lot on this show. If you listen, you know that. If you don't, you just think I'm angry. But I laughed my butt off at Trevor Noah last week, and then John Oliver was on Sunday night. I want to play both of them for you. So this is Trevor Noah last Thursday night. I don't know if you've noticed, but it seems like as Donald Trump becomes more and more unwoke, Justin Trudeau is compensating in the other direction. The only issue is the Canadian Prime Minister keeps going too far. Canada's Prime Minister is under fire over his outfits on his week-long family trip to India. Trudeau got called out today by one of India's most popular politicians. Omar Abdullah tweeted, is it just me or is this choreographed cuteness all just a bit much now? Also, FYI, we Indians don't dress like this every day, sir. Not even in Bollywood. (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, Justin Trudeau is the greatest. Like, what is he doing? Like, no, because you look at all the pictures. The Indians all look like they showed up for a diplomatic conference, and he looked like he was auditioning for Jai Ho. What is he doing? Like, if this is what he does in India, I can't wait for the official visit to Italy. It's just like, it's me, Trudeau. Now, now, some people in India thought it was really sweet that Trudeau was trying to embrace Indian culture, but other people in India were offended. But it was just like a tiny percentage of the population, like a few hundred million. And uh, you know what would be funny is if Trudeau tried to apologize, but he was still rolling a little too deep with the Indian culture, so he was like, as Canadian Prime Minister, I want to say, I'm so sorry about what happened. I don't know about you, but it made me laugh. That was Trevor Noah from last Thursday. And and you may have noticed a um, uh, a cameo there by Lee, CTV News and Lisa LaFlamme. Well, then last night it was John Oliver's turn to point out Trudeau's Punjabi pratfall. India, an economic and cultural powerhouse and the reason that your most annoying friend won't shut up about Bikram yoga. We get it, Paisley. You can f*** upside down now. Okay, that was a mistake. I thought that had been bleeped out. So we won't play John Oliver just yet, and my apologies for that going out. Uh, We'll fix that and bring it to you later on. Oh, always got to be careful with the John Oliver, because he's on HBO. He's on HBO in the States. He's on HBO Canada. And uh, it's about media property. Don't fire me, please. Okay, so what are your thoughts on Trudeau's trip to India. I talked about it all last week. 
didn't get a chance to take calls because it was on in the morning, so we weren't having our nightly conversations, I'd love to hear from you now. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility or 1-800-580-CFRA. Beyond the news at CFRA.com. And then there's Patrick Brown. Patrick Brown resigning from the leadership race that he joined 11 days ago. 11. 11 days ago. And he's out already. He he showed up with great fanfare. It was just on the 16th of February. Today's the 26th. It was the 16th of February that he showed up and last minute drops off his money, says that he's going to become a candidate again, and then he's done. He's out of there. It makes no sense. He says it's about family. He says it's about holding CTV to account. He says all of those things, but it came just hours after the star dropped a, another story. This one, they had copies of the emails saying, where he said, get me the result I want in the Hamilton West Flamber Dundas nomination. That one happened May 2nd. It happened after Ottawa West Nepean. There were allegations of mis you know, wrongdoing there. The police are investigating. I may not agree with that, but the police are investigating, and somehow the star got a hold of emails where Patrick Brown is saying, Get me the result I want, but no disqualification. The kitchen's too hot. Hmm. Oh, and by the way, the integrity commissioner also said they were investigating his finances. So I don't say the family stuff had nothing to do with it, but I think there's more than that. Let's go to John. John, you're calling in about Trudeau's trip to India? Yes, um, I'll try my best to keep it brief. Um, We've developed over the years a, a method called teleconferencing. And for all the good he has done over there, he should have just bloody well stayed home and did some teleconferencing and smiled to those who, who wanted it and, and bloody well stay here and do some work instead of out gallivanting around the world. There was no real purpose for him to be there. I, I, you know, I can't disagree with you. And uh, Paul Wells at McLean's wrote that Trudeau, for all the good he did, may not may as well not have gone. That's right. Uh, Don Martin, host of Power Play, said if this is... Uh, Trudeau putting Canada back on the world stage. I want us off. There are many of us out here, both retired and still working, that can't take a day off, let alone the time that he takes off. Uh, and, it, and we wouldn't have a job if that was if we were doing that. I know his supporters you say know, it wasn't like, a vacation, but do some actual pencil pushing. You know, let let's see some product productivity out of you. I know he says it wasn't a, uh, a a vacation, John, but when you've got one meeting at the end of the day for an hour in, on most days. And invite a chef from Vancouver. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Thanks for the call, John. Okay. All right. Let's go to Norma. Norma, you're on Beyond the News. Oh, hi, Brian. It's so nice to hear your voice. I've been away for a while. I just wanted to say that I, I think our prime minister is a tender little flower. I don't think he's used to being ridiculed or being <laughs> held up to criticism. I think it, you know. I, Do you think I, that's I think why he took a nap day today and stayed I think, home? You know, that is 
why I, when he took his personal day today, I was thinking his his poor little ego must be terribly bruised and shattered. You know, how come he, you know, that gosh, um, this dashing handsome man would actually be ridiculed throughout the world? Uh, so, sorry, I just think it's tremendously. It's it's not really funny, uh, but it is amusing. My you know? apologies again for the John Oliver one. I thought we'd bleeped out all the naughty bits, but uh, did you hear the Trevor Noah? I mean, this is a a. a a stalwart of the progressive left in the states, oh, for sure. mocking them. <laughs> because how can you not? If, well, the thing is, you know, as I say, unfortunately, you know, we, we all know this story about the emperor who had no clothes. But unfortunately, we've got an emperor who's very overdressed all the time. <laughs> and it's really quite, uh, you know, I, I, well, I, I want him to go to uh, a trip to uh, Ireland and just dress like uh, the uh, Notre Dame fighting Irish leprechaun for the whole trip. <laughs> Well, as I say, I love Trevor Noah when he go, when he goes and, to Italy. What's he going to do? Wait, and um, he, he had him dressed up like Super Mario from Nintendo. <laughs> is, is he going to wear lederhosen in Germany and wooden shoes in Holland? Well, no, you know, actually, it's it, just such an embarrassment because. I, but I really do feel that he just doesn't have a clue that he's that you know that people are mocking him. He, 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 and I think, as I say, after this time he's had in India, I hope that he, you know, he's getting an idea that he's not just the be all and end all. Um, may I just say a quick word about Patrick Brown? Sure. If I may, I'm um, oh, this. I'm very happy that he's actually uh, left the leadership race because I think it's just um, really distracting for everyone. So perhaps we can actually get on at being conservatives and electing someone, you know, um, I, I have a lot of sympathy for the man, but I also feel that he's sort of, you know, oh, can I say pissed in the pickles in uh, uh, yeah. certain respects, um, you know, just with his behavior and the way that he's handled things. So uh, to me, it's uh, it's not a loss. I just worry about his mental health. And well, you know, I, okay. I, I only wish all of these people the best. Uh, volunteering your time for public service is is a big sacrifice for anyone. So, it absolutely is. And that's yeah. why I say right. I'm glad. He, I'm glad he's not doing it. But at the same time, Ta- I, I do. I am actually concerned for the man's, you know, um, mental well-being and stuff because he's just been. Um, there's been a constant onslaught against. T- ten him. seconds, uh, Norma. Who would you back then? Who, who do you like as oh, your number one pick? Gosh, I think Christian Elliott. Okay. All right. We got to leave it there. Thanks for the call. Bye. Five two one talk. Five two one eight two five five star five eighty on Bell Mobility or one eight hundred five eight zero CFRA. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Call now. Get on the line. In a world gone mad, there must be resistance. You're listening to Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. All right, so did you know that uh, two two days from today, it'll be two years since the Phoenix Pay System fiasco began? Yeah, since y'all stopped getting paid properly? I've talked about this before, um, and I wish I could contact the people. I'm not sure I could track them down now. It was a while ago. One person got an extra 20000 another person got an extra 17000 dropped into their accounts, and they had trouble paying the money back because, well, the... 
the folks didn't know how to take the money back. The Sun had a story about uh, a guy who got paid an extra 25000 That may, some of you might be going, all right, yay, extra 25000 Well, no, you've got to give it back. And uh, you're going to get taxed on it. You are, it's going to affect the rest of your paychecks. It, it's bizarre. It's horrible. And then there's the people not paid at all. I'm sure we'll be talking plenty about that. The NDP was up asking questions in the House of Commons today. The Conservatives were mainly focused on the fact that Justin Trudeau and his Liberal government used a senior bureaucrat to sell a conspiracy theory and lie to media about an ally. They tried to claim that there were rogue elements in India that invited Jasper Atwal, the convicted would-be assassin, the convicted terrorist, It was rogue elements in the Indian government that invited him to make Justin Trudeau look bad. No evidence for this, but, you know, this is the story they sold. And, you know, it's not crazy. Right wing Brian making that up. It was CBC reported on the story. Now, I'm critical of CBC, and you can see this on the piece up at brianlilly.com. I'm critical of CBC because they ran it unquestioningly. They just ran with the whole thing. Global mentioned it. David Aiken detailed it. And then yesterday when Jasper Latwal came out saying that he knows the PM, they denied everything. He knows my name. He comes and says, hey, Jas, how are you doing? Blah, blah, blah. And uh, we have a good relation. I, I never see any problem. But now, you know, he said, oh, Jasper not supposed to be here, this and that. Uh, Trudeau not only denies his, his spokesman, Cameron Ahmad, and I've been dealing with Cameron for years, Um, You disappoint me on this one, Cameron, because I generally think Cameron is quite often a consummate professional. He puts up with me, even though he knows my my viewpoints, treats me professionally. But then he's out there denying that the PM actually knows Jasper Latwal and denying that anyone in the government ever said there was a conspiracy theory or any plot by India to make Trudeau look bad. 521-TALK, 521-8255-580 on Bell Mobility or 1-800-580-CFRA. Also, welcome your calls on any of the other issues we've talked about, uh, whether it's Patrick Brown and his nomination race. You want to talk about Carlson? Well, you know, talk to Elsie because I'm not the sports guy, but I was right. Uh, and closing down Elgin Street. I got an email from Stefan. I'll read it to you in just a minute. He, he works down there and talks about what a disaster it's going to be. But first, Kiefer, calling in from Kempville. Hey, how's it going? I'm going well. You're the second person I've heard of with that name, but I love it. Oh, perfect. Um, so anyways, I'll cut right to the chase. Yeah. Um, I'm 19 years old now. When Trudeau was coming up for uh, for his election, um, I was only 17 at the time, so I did not have the right to vote. I made both of my parents vote liberal. Cause I, had, I had kind of... Uh, uh, faith and hope in him that he was going to do something and seeing it up until now I, I haven't really seen anything that I'm impressed with and honestly I'm a little bit embarrassed like especially with the the whole India thing I mean you have the professionals the the political professionals in India dressing like professional people and he just looks like a complete idiot yeah and, and if he was at a, a ceremony let's say that he went to a big ceremony yeah and he dressed like that and it's appropriate at that time sure but Fair when enough, but in a professional <laughs> 
in a professional place, you dress like a professional. It doesn't yeah, matter and, and, and in fairness to him, when he met with the CEOs, he put on uh, a suit. But oh, I, I'm sure the, the, the Indian break. guys kept saying he's too Indian for an Indian. Yeah, and, no and and when he's meeting the the actors from the Bollywood movies, which is where you see these outfits, yeah, he's dressed like he's in a Bollywood movie, and they're in jeans and, uh, and a pair of boots and a jacket, and like, hey, how's it going? I'm a big Indian star. <laughs> so oh, it's ridiculous. I mean, just bottom line for me is is as a political professional, he he looks like a 14 year old kid that's just running the country, and it's, it's kind of scary for me as a 19 year old you know what kind of country is he is he going to leave behind well, for me you know like, he's leaving behind a country where he'll get a nonpartisan professional public servant who's in charge of things like national security to lie to the media absolutely you're absolutely right i i can't believe that this is not a bigger deal in our own media this should be a major story today well the problem with the media in my opinion is that they're too focused on making sure that everybody is not offended, which, fair enough, it, it would be great to live in a place where nobody's offended, but they're focusing too far on that and not, too, not far enough on the bigger issues. All right. Thanks for the call, Kiefer. Thank you. 521-TALK, 521-8255. Marie, you're on Beyond the News. Hello. How are you? I'm well. You? Fine. Thank you. My, um, I'll get right to it as well. Um, my concern is with the amount of exposure he had in India and the things that came out. My concern is what else goes on in his home life and who else does he expose his wife and kids to? I, I don't get what you're, oh, what you're sorry. pointing okay. to. So like he had that his wife, Sophie, posing with that terrorist guy. Okay. And, and in know? fairness to Mr. Atwal, and, and we'll find out more about him, he says he's reformed and he's left <laughs> all that behind. But, hey, the, the prime minister still threw him under the bus right away, didn't he? Sorry. I got you okay to... there, Marie? I'm sorry, yeah. Okay, so you're you're worried about who he's bringing around. You brought around Joshua Boyle, who's off for a 60-day uh, mental health check. Exactly. So if he's exposing his family to that, he clearly doesn't care too much about what kind of people he's exposing Canadians to. Okay, it's, I'm going to let you go get some water, Marie, but fair point. Well, <laughs> well said. Thank you. I'll call another time. <laughs> yeah, please do, but go recover. You sound like you're... You sound like you're going to lose it there. Uh, let's go to uh, Elizabeth. Elizabeth, you're calling in about Trudeau's trip as well. Yeah, I um, I, I'm I'm really proud that I was that I became a Canadian, and I'm you know like always saying to my friends in other countries, you know, like I'm proud of the Canadian. I, I'm glad I came to Canada. And I tell you, this is the one time in my 42 years that I am embarrassed to be associated with Canada because I was embarrassed for him. Like, I, I, I feel really embarrassed about the whole thing. I mean, it, it, it was just ridiculous. It- to it's you, almost like he hasn't grown up. Well, he's, I, he's I, I don't think child. he, I don't think he has. I mean, look at how he he reacts to the news about Atwal. First, he blames the Indian High Commissioner. Then he blames the backbench MP. Then his office trots out this senior government official, and blames India. Yeah, well, he's, he, he's, he's not even to, taking. He's looking to be a scapegoat, and whoever gets fired will be the scapegoat, whether, you know, 
it's their fault or not. He's looking for the scapegoat. And think back to dealing with a toddler, right? Yeah. And, oh, why'd you do this? I didn't do it. But, you know, I can see the, the mud all over your hands. Oh, it wasn't yeah. me. I, I, I deal, That's what I he's deal like. with three girls, and, and when what, something goes wrong, well, it wasn't me, it was her. And then she says, that, that one says, no, it wasn't me, it was her. Yeah. And that, that's exactly what's going on here. Like, you know, and I, I feel the same thing about, I know it's kind of off the subject, but I feel the same thing with, with trying to rush the pot thing through. I think he has a personal agenda to that, too. Well, he definitely doesn't want it coming just before the next election. So he wants it through now. And um, there's a saying when people are making movies, if there's a mistake, they'll say, oh, we'll fix it in post. In post-production, they'll fix it. That's kind of what he's saying. He knows there's going to be problems. He's saying, don't worry about the problems. We'll fix those later. Just get it legalized so that the problems are fixed before everyone votes next time. Well, I personally think he has a personal reason for doing this. Well, he's admitted to smoking it before, but says he doesn't now. I'll have to take him at his word. Yeah. All right. Thanks for the call, Elizabeth. You're welcome. Let's go to Taz. Taz, you're on Beyond the News. Hi, Brian. Thanks for keeping it real and uh, keeping them honest and uh, exposing what uh, is more than a train wreck in India. I think this I picked man... up a nice sari on the way in, though. I'm wearing it. It's it's very fetching on me. Uh, well, you know, he's wearing these dresses, and then he talks about appropriation, like we can't dress or we can't buy those Indian dolls. Oh, oh sorry, sorry, not Indian. I mean, native dolls at the uh, No, indigenous. Store. Indigenous. Indigenous, yes, First Nations. And, uh, of course, there might have been first other nations, but we might not know that. I don't know. Maybe there was an alien here at one time. But, yes, so basically uh, looking at this train wreck from uh, India, he tries so hard to be something else, you see, and I've noticed his ego. It, it all comes to narcissism. It all comes to almost like a mental illness like Hitler had. I mean, if you looked at his pictures. I but, never like anyone being compared to Hitler unless they're Hitler. So let's, let's keep that out. Okay. But, but narcissist, I can understand. Okay. So, yeah, but there, there's a lot of dictators that have had that. You know, Saddam Hussein, um, a couple of others, uh, Stalin. Uh, you know, the, mental illness does play a part. I mean, his mother did smoke a little pot. I mean, I'm not... I'm not trying to put them down. No, and, and Margaret Trudeau has been an advocate for mental illness and admitted what she has had to deal with herself. Exactly. And I, I really don't want to touch that part because I, I think that's a little... Now we're getting into the... I, I feel hurt and sorry. But I just feel that his actions of, you know, doing these things on and on and on, and we have now a judge that, uh, that you mentioned that uh, tried to, um, I believe... Uh, is 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 a is a liberal uh, uh, insider or a limp-wristed? Uh, Are you talking about the, the the judge that just got appointed? Absolutely, uh, he's very disturbing. He has been uh, uh, defending all the major terrorist cases he's been involved in. Not all, but getting close. And, and where's the media on that? And now he's appointed to the federal court. Uh, well, I mean, you find one judge that Stephen Harper ever appointed that said one bad word in their view on a social conservative issue, and it would be a nonstop story. Yeah, you're right. And I think that's the other thing that the guy was saying before me is that the media is either too sensitive, too nervous, or they're not. And I, I think we don't have a conservative media here anymore, but they're not going for the jugular. I'll tell you that. 
Uh, and I'd like to see the Conservatives go for the juggler tomorrow or whenever, when they ever have, uh, uh, they're in the session again. They really need to expose this kind of stuff. Well, I'll, I'll tell you this before I, I grab the next call, Taz. Um, all I pointed to were facts from the government press release about this judge. I pointed to facts from the government press release and his own website. This is the guy's own website. Now, I put the links in. Right. Tweeted it out, and what do I get? I get re- replies like, stop lying. You cons are so ridiculous, it's unreal, and your base is so stupid enough to believe you. Well, that's the other thing is that the Facebook thing, he's so angry at Facebook that I, I wonder if he's just going to really go after free speech in well, regular free speech and just yeah, muddy it, it, passionate conservative speech, you know? Yeah, well, we all know when they say fix the fake news problem, they mean stop letting conservatives speak. We know right. that's going to be part of it. We know that the algorithms have already changed on Facebook and conservative. Uh, we know that Twitter and Facebook have downgraded conservatives, even mainstream conservatives, lower than they used to be. We know that's happened before. It's going to happen again. Uh, so, yeah, I'm worried. All right. Thanks for the call, Taz. No problem. All right. We're going to take Peter before we take a break, because then when I come back from the break, we're going to play John Oliver cleaned up. No swearing this time, Peter. No swearing. <laughs> I just heard uh, that Trudeau wants to change the national anthem again. Oh, yeah? Yeah, he's going to change it to, hooray for Bollywood. <laughs> well, he uh, he showed off his dancing skills. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> anyway, you should go to Papua New Guinea. They just wear a loincloth there. That ought to be funny. Uh, I don't want to see that. <laughs> He's in better shape than me, but I still don't want to see that. And, you know, okay, so we're hosting the G7 later this year. Well, this will be a G-string 7. Well, can you imagine if the foreign leaders that come to Canada, are we still allowed to call them foreign leaders, or is that offensive somehow? <laughs> we change The global leaders, because we changed it to global affairs, they're going to come to Canada, and, are they, you know, is um, Angela Merkel going to show up dressed as a Mountie on day one? And a hockey player on day two? What the heck would we say? I know, I know. All right, thanks for the call, Peter. Okay, bye. Uh, When we come back, I'll I'll play you more of that that John Oliver thing. We've we've cleaned cleaned it up. That's my fault. Mea culpa, mea culpa, mea maxima culpa. Stevens cleaned it up. We'll play it for you again. Another left-wing comedian mocking the Dolphins. Official opposition. Ryan Lilly is on your side. Beyond the news on News Talk 580 CFRA. He knows my name. He comes and says, Hey, Jazz, how are you doing? Blah, blah, blah. And uh, we have a good relation. I, I never see any problem. But now, you know, he said, oh, Jasper not supposed to be here, this and that. That's Jasper Lotwell speaking with the Canadian press saying, oh, yeah, yeah, Trudeau knows me by name, says, hey, Jazz, how's it going? You know somebody well enough to say that, and you've been photographed with them a bunch of times, and you hunt out in his Humvee? What was that footprint like? It was back when Trudeau was a backbencher, and he's hanging out in the Humvee with him. Yeah. That's going to expand your footprint. I think there's serious questions around Atwal. 
I think there are serious questions around this uh, senior government official with knowledge of national security. Oh, national security advisor? Clerk of the Privy Council? I think this is, these are real problems. These are serious questions, serious issues that have to be reported on. And the media better do their damn job on this one. I was not in the room. I was not on any phone calls. So I can make the accusation that I think it was Daniel Gene. And I'm not breaking any protocol. I did not agree to anything. And if it's not him, then the government needs to say who it was. Because they were spreading a conspiracy theory, and that is the serious side. But I always say you can't be serious all the time. And this is why I wanted to play the, uh, the comedians laughing at Justin Trudeau. Trevor, no, we already heard. I, I started to play John Oliver. Apparently there was a swear word. Uh, we've cut that out. There was only one. I could have kept going. But John Oliver jumping on the, uh, the Trudeau laugh track bandwagon as well. India, an economic and cultural powerhouse, and the reason that your most annoying friend won't shut up about Bikram yoga. We get it, Paisley. You can f*** upside down now. <laughs> now th- this week, India hosted a number of foreign dignitaries. First, there was Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, whose visit got off to a rocky start. Prime Minister Modi's glaring silence on the visit of Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau to India hasn't gone unnoticed. No welcome tweet, no airport hug, and no joint visit to Gujarat. Is Canada's Prime Minister Justin Trudeau getting the Modi snub? Ouch. It seems like Modi's treating Trudeau like a guy who finishes third on The Bachelorette, which, let's face it, is actually what Justin Trudeau looks like. Oh, oh, he'd get to hometowns, sure, but after Fantasy Suites, it's done so. Now, now that snub may have its roots in Trudeau's perceived soft approach to Sikh extremist groups in Canada. And he frankly didn't help the situation by going in heavy on the national dress pandering with Indian outfit after Indian outfit that seemed a bit much. I mean, it's not like when Modi visits Ottawa, he turns up in full Canadian formal dress, by which I, of course, mean a gravy-stained Toronto Raptors jersey and Roots sweatpants. And look... It's not, it's not just me who found it over the top. Listen to this Indian fashion designer. Well, I, I just thought it was a little uh, too Indian for Indians also. Uh, a little uh, tacky uh, when it came to his tutorial choices. And I'm glad it's a Canadian designer and it's definitely not an Indian designer who's just made this uh, fashion blunder. And it looked like a complete backup dancer for a cheap Hollywood movie. Oh! A cheap Bollywood movie. That is a solid zing from Indian Tim Gunn. Trudeau's visit turned out to be the most unwatchable white person's trip through India since the Darjeeling Limited. But, but Trudeau was actually lucky because his trip was overshadowed by a visit from Donald Trump Jr. It's not, it's not just me who found it over the top. Listen to this Indian fashion designer. Okay, that ended more abruptly than I thought. So uh, he had more to say, but uh, we are running out of time. Surprised I was not getting more calls, more emails on Patrick Brown. I did say I'd get to Stefan's email uh, about um, the uh, road closures on Elgin Street. He says that he he takes the bus during the week when he has to work, but drives downtown. He says, uh, uh, has anybody in council or the mayor's office thought about the trouble for emergency vehicles to get around when it's just two lanes? Do extra lanes allow cars to pull over and let them through? Isn't that the reason why one-way streets of two lanes, um, it, it's uh, 
for the purpose of uh, making room for emergency vehicles. There's so much wrong with what, what they're going to be doing to Elgin Street, but it's okay. We've already uh, killed off O'Connor, and soon I'm betting we're going to be killing off Kent Street. Why don't we just close that down? It's not like anyone uses that to get to work downtown. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Back at it again tomorrow. You can always email me, beyondthenews at CFRA.com. Follow me on Twitter, twitter.com slash Lilly or facebook.com slash Lilly. Talk tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Remember, I'm on your side.